Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Subray, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. This show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups. What you want, what you need, what you love. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Storyfora, the writing services and content agency providing people with communication solutions of all sorts. For writing services of any type, go to Storyfora, that's P-H-O-R-A, storyfora.com. And lastly, don't forget to check out Thursday Night Record Club at the Brent Jensen Music YouTube channel. All right, today on No Sleep Till Sudbury, I'm joined by writer, musician, and fellow Sudbury boy, Mr. Sean Barrett. Sean's here today to talk about his new book entitled Heartstrings, First Guitars. It's a really interesting project that I've been fortunate enough to bear witness to right from its very inception, practically. Here's the man himself to tell you more about it. Sean Barrett, welcome to the show at long last, my friend. At long last, for sure. You know, I was starting to wonder, um, you know, what 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 is wrong with me specifically that Brent hasn't had me on the show yet? You know, <laughs> I think I, I think I think I'm I think I've actually raised that question a few times, and you're always very good about changing the the subject. So I was like, I don't know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's happening here. But uh, anyway, I'm glad to be here finally because like I've listened to the show extensively. Uh, you know, the guests are always awesome, so I know that I've I've got a, a bar that I must rise to. So I'm going to try and give good podcast here today. You will not have a problem achieving that goal, my friend, I guarantee. Okay. Okay. You, you and I have been friends for a while and uh, we've talked about bringing you on the show over the years as a guest, but now we have a definitive reason to do that. I mean, we did before, but now we really have something to, to, to talk about and get out there. Right. Yeah, well, you want to have some meat on the bone for sure. So I, I think, uh, I think the timing's perfect. It's being facetious before. I, I really appreciate, <laughs> I really appreciate being on the show. And like, yeah, this is, this is kind of the perfect time for us to have this conversation. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a new book on the horizon. Yes, it's called Heartstrings First Guitars, and it should be published. I'm gonna say early August here. I've, I've had a lot of realizations about publishing writing a book how complicated it is or can be and how much work goes into it so first of all i want to say kudos to you on three awesome books oh thank you um because i had like no idea i really didn't i went into this completely blind and now i'm at this point where things really got real you know we did the kickstarter campaign and the book got written and stuff like that so yeah Awesome. And now I'm faced with a whole bunch of things that are outside of my comfort zone. So, you know, I mean, but we're going to get there. So it'll be available early August and uh, and uh, copies will be going out to the people who supported the Kickstarter campaign before that. Love it. Now, mm-hmm. this book features the stories of guitar players and their first guitars, which is a great concept. There are some notable names in this book. Brent Jensen, for one. <laughs> did my story make the cut? It did. It oh, did. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, Liam Menace, uh, another one. Awesome. Uh, the guy, the guy who planted the seed for the idea, who's also a good friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So um, that's very yeah, cool. But, but yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about the, the the names that were notable for you. Uh, what what uh, what are you looking forward to? What's going to light you up? Do you think? Well, how many how many stories are there? First of all. There's about 280. Okay. So, so there's a lot. And 
what I had asked people to do was, well, I interviewed a number of them, mm-hmm. um, but some people just, you know, because songwriters are writers, I think they just provided the story. And I said, okay, it has to be like 180 to 300 words. So we're only looking at these short little, what I, what I call vignettes, you know, about specifically the first guitar that really lit them up. Mm-hmm. Like when people think first guitars, they might be thinking, yeah, some Sears job or a first act or, you know, something that was 80 bucks at Costco. But I realized very quickly that all of those stories were were going to just pile up on each other and they wouldn't be very interesting. It was like, yeah, when I was 10, my parents bought me a piece of crap from Sears and I soldiered through and my fingers hurt and I still play. The end. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, exactly. So I wasn't going to get a lot of uh, content out of them. But when I realized if I talked about the first guitar that really lit them up and they went, okay, yeah, no, this is, this is for me now. I'm a guitar player because of this guitar. Mm-hmm. Then I was going to get into some pretty special stuff. And I did. And I'd say about two thirds of the stories are just from regular people, you know, like me and you and, and people who play guitar for the love of playing it or who are, you know, singer songwriters with three CDs of no repute, you know, or those who are still trying to make it and those who maybe are on the downswing of their career. And then about a third of them are these names that honestly, I did not go into this looking for or thinking that I was going to talk to. And I did. And that's kind of, that's where the story gets really interesting. Well, that's it. First of all, uh, very evenly balanced landscape which i like and and it's like the show it's like no sleep till Sudbury, right you don't have to be a celebrity for your story to be interesting everybody's got a compelling story and you know one of the things i like about doing the show is that i prove that i have my neighbors on i have you know everybody on in addition to phil collin from def leppard and right i like that but i like it too and just while we're on the topic you can go ahead and hook me up with Phil Collin for volume two. I'm just saying. But <laughs> he, he would actually you, do it. You, uh, you know what? That would be so amazing because I was a big Def Leppard fan, man. Like oh. a big Def Well, we all were. Uh, you know, people people of our age, and or I should say our era, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're all into that. But yes, that's exactly right. And what I found in, in this book and compiling those stories, and it's not just a compilation of stories. You know, I, I want to be clear about that. There's like a narrative that I weave through the whole thing. But in, in compiling these stories, realized that some of the most compelling ones are just people who who play guitar for the love of it, campfire strummers and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. everybody's got their reason to pick up a guitar and then want to continue on with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The names that I had mentioned earlier, I, I'm kind of going, you know, you would send me texts periodically and say, hey, I just got, you know, Tom Wilson. From, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I just got Miles Goodwin from April one. And I was you know, getting these texts going, holy crap, how are you doing this? Because it just it was almost like a landslide for a little while. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, Tom Wilson, I'm going to credit Tom and, um, and his manager, Alan Moy, with really cracking things wide open. So Tom and I go way back and there's stories about Tom outside of his guitar story because he and I have known each other since I was in radio. My, my first career was radio. I was 17 when I got into it and, you know, uh, moved to Sudbury, worked at the rock station. So obviously that put me in touch with Tom 
through his junk house years. And so we kind of know each other. I've been to his shows. He always remembers we, me when he sees me, which is kind of cool. And we, you know, we can talk a little bit. And so I got in touch with him because initially what I was doing was just a little book about probably like local players from Sudbury and, and you know, the sort of the region, maybe up north to my hometown of Capiscasing and a few friends who have had more notable careers let's say like ron hawkins from lowest to the low and i just wanted to pepper those in a little bit mm-hmm. and i was planning on this small book and then i so i called tom and i'm like tom you know will you be in my book and he's like oh yeah man just you know call my manager alan boy get in touch with him he'll set it up and we'll do it i'm like okay cool and it was when i got in touch with alan uh, who also manages 5440 uh was like well you know, do you want to talk to the rest of the guys in Black and the Rodeo Kings? And you know, do you want to talk to the guys from 5440? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do <laughs> very much. And that's when I started thinking, you know, I don't necessarily have to limit this. And from my years in radio working as a music director, I do know people still in the music industry. I do know a number of other artists who, you know, may or may not remember me. Maybe I should just start reaching out to some of these people. And that was when the lid kind of blew right off it. Next thing I knew, I was, you know, uh, getting a story already written from Rob Baker. And then I was, uh, you know, interviewing the other guys from the from the hip. And that kind of went and went and went and yeah, it just it just grew. And I have to thank a lot of a lot of people and friends from the industry and, and also just the people who were open to it, you know, because you run into some gatekeepers, but a lot of people are just happy to throw open the gates and go, Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a fun project. Yeah. That's the thing I was getting back a lot was, Oh, this is a great idea, you know, like this sounds like a fun project. So everybody kept saying that. And I eventually got to a point where I was like, Okay, I this is fun. Like I really like chasing people and doing this and interviewing them and that, but I, I had to kind of pull up when I hit about two, seven, I think it's about 280, yeah, 278 maybe, but who's counting. And now I'm, like I said, working on the volume two and reaching out to some people. And there's already some uh, interesting cats who are pretty interested in providing their stories as well. Well, I'll look forward to getting more texts in that case then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you will. You, I, well, I hope you will anyway. And, and, I want to think it might be a little bit easier once people see the book. You know, once they've had a chance to read it, they, on the other hand, might go, "Wow, this book sucks. I'm not going to be in the next one." But I, I'm, I, I think, I think it's a good book. I think it's interesting. And even if people don't, you know, love reading about my narrative, which I think is kind of cool, you know, they've still got the stories to fall back on. And, the, and my narrative just is kind of an introduction to each chapter and explains a little bit about, you know why I'm doing this and and who's going to who they're going to be reading about and in the next chapter and that kind of thing because like I've lived a life that uh has always had music involved in it my dad was a musician like I said got into radio spent 14 years doing that you know got out learned how to play guitar and that's where my first uh, guitar story comes in and then eventually you know wrote and recorded a few records and then uh started on this so it's a pretty long go it's like 35 plus years or more than that i'm more than 35 but you know that's how long i've been doing what i do since i got into radio but even before that so let's say if we want to say like my whole life basically there's pictures of me lying on the floor in front of the stereo with those big giant um vinyl headphones on that were like the size of of your head on either side that each had their own like volume control and pitch control and all that stuff so yeah it's always been a thing for me I'm glad that you elected to uh, take that route because I think what you will find is that people appreciate the personal 
conveyance of the story. You know, oftentimes when you read books, it was like, you know, the, the retelling of history of this or the factual kind of telling of this. But when you add a personal element in, in, into that and, the, you know, no sleep till Sudbury, I, I strove to do that, to make it personal so people can relate when there's absolutely, you know what I mean? So there will be connectivity and people will really relate to this book, Sean. I do know exactly what you mean, because I was going to bring that up myself. And that was what struck me about that book was that, yeah, it's your personal story. Now, could you have just written a story and focused on, you know, the eighties metal gods that you listen to and, and not personalize it? You absolutely could have. But what I loved was that here's a person that I can identify with we both grew up in these little towns. Mm -hmm. I, I get where you were at at that time. And that is what the magic was in No Sleep Till Sudbury. And you continued right through that. And I, I found all of the books really compelling for that reason. So, yeah, when I, when I finally decided, okay, how am I putting this together, though? If I'm going to author something, I have to, off, I have to offer some words uh, beyond an introduction and then just a bunch of stories that aren't really connected for any reason so you know they they fall into different chapters there's a family chapter so you're going to find a lot of guitar players who are related you know sort of the you know barney and dustin mental and mm -hmm. and you know what that kind of thing and then obviously there's there are some uh, family dynasties that nobody's ever heard of um and then there's other ones that are really well known like you know the good brothers i've got uh you know a couple of the brothers darcy you know who is uh, brian's daughter and i think that can continue too because it's like as i say i think i say in the book you know it's kind of like hockey players in a way you know if dad's a pro hockey player there's a much better chance that the kids will kind of go down that road and and i think there's a certain influence that can be had when kids are seeing that oh no it is possible for me to make a living doing this mm -hmm. and and so they go ahead and do it so it's just an example of of how those how those things worked out and what the breakdown is going to be but it's it's definitely a book that anybody who has had those experiences or who loves music is really going to be able to relate to, I think, on, on every level. They don't have to be a guitar player, but they're going to find out what motivated their favorite artists yeah. to, to get into the game, you know? I, I can't wait to, to get a copy of that book into my hands. Thank yeah, you. It's going to be great, man. I know it. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to getting it out there. And like I said, I'm, I had so much fun doing the first one that I've already got plans for, you know, volume two and, and a few others, because let's face it, the uh, subject matter is virtually endless, right? The source material, it's out there. We, we all know lots of guitar players. And because I'm not looking for fame, um, it really kind of broadens the field. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many of the seven, roughly seven or eight billion people on this earth are guitar players, but, you know, I want to talk to all of them. So I got to get started. <laughs> all right. It's going to take a while. <laughs> As is the custom, we're going to talk about the songs that make your skin vibrate. But before we do that, I want to touch on something that you do that I think is really cool on social media. Okay. And uh, I've been a fan of this for a while. So one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show initially was to talk about this because I think it's really it's awesome. Okay. Um, now, most Friday nights, the Brett family has a pizza night. It's right. not just some yep. standard pizza night, right? It, it's you actually yourself make these pretty incredible looking pies and uh, you include all the ingredients that you use and they're, they're not, you know, run of the mill garden variety things. Like it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's cool. Mm -hmm. A lot of work goes into this and there's pictures and uh, it always makes me hungry. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the other thing that you do along with this that I like even more is that you supply a playlist. 
Now, yeah. th- this, these, these playlists that you have are just not the top of your head, but they feature all kinds of fantastic songs and they're, they're long and, and, you know, there's deep cuts in them. There's songs that I love and that I've forgotten about. And I'm reminded and I go, Oh yeah, I, I, I see these songs and I just think about, you know, the atmosphere, uh, what the atmosphere is like when you're rolling these playlists and having these pizzas, like it's just a really cool thing. Oh, thanks, man. Well, let me tell you how these come together. It's kind of, it's just something that I, I started doing. Yes, the playlists are long, and sometimes I think the people who are waiting for the pies wish they were a little bit shorter. Um, <laughs> you know, but this is because cooking, I love cooking. It's another creative thing that I do, and it's like moving meditation for me. And I love putting together these pizzas and coming up with the ingredients. People are always like, hey, you know what? You should sell these. Uh, and I'm like, sure. Like, I don't know how much you're willing to pay, but, you know, probably 50, 60, 70 bucks a, a pie by the time I'm done, you know, with the <laughs> ingredients and the amount of time it takes for me to stand in the kitchen and have a good time and and listen to the music and that kind of thing. But the, okay, so the music, though, it all comes off this like uh, Civil War era iPod. It, I got it when I started at the Sudbury Regional Hospital, it was 2004, and I walked around the corner, I'd only been there a few months, and the patient rep was emptying out the lost and found. They did it every six months, and whatever hadn't been claimed just kind of went in the garbage because they didn't know what to do with it. You know, it had been in a hospital, so you can't like resell it, all this stuff. There's reasons why they had to throw it out. Mm-hmm. And, and sitting on the top, it was on the top, and, and it's not like medical waste or anything like that, was this iPod, and I'm like, why are you throwing that out? And she was like, well, like, you can't reprogram them once you program them. And I said, I'm pretty sure you can. So do you mind? And she said, sure. So I, I get this iPod Touch. It's one of the ones with the little screen. You know, it's like the original, yeah. the OG iPod. And I'm still using that. And I'm, I'm terrified. The day that it finally gives up the ghost is going to be such a sad day because my other job, being a music director at the radio station, I had like all these CDs, right, of stuff that often didn't make it to the air, but that I would listen to and think, this is fantastic music. So it would come home with me. And at one point, I ripped all the songs that I thought were worthwhile onto this iPod. Oh. And I made my own list. Now, I'm not an Apple guy. The I don't know what happened. Something happened along the way. Um, so I cannot connect to my Apple Music anymore and access these songs. So they are on this iPod. Mm. and that is where they live. And when that iPod dies, they are going to go away. At least the list is going to go away. I have the CDs in the basement. but So that's the story, and I just put it on shuffle. Wow. And uh, and it's kind of whatever comes up. I'll skip songs that aren't really down with the mood because I like, you know, I like lots of sad stuff too, but I'm trying to have enough tempo time. So, you know, a song will come on. I'll be like, nope, not tonight, and I'll skip past it. And, but it, it just creates this really cool sort of automatically generated playlist with a little bit of help. And, and so a lot of the songs would be really unfamiliar or they might be songs that, never really got much radio play if at all but they may have heard somewhere else so there's some and there's some deep cuts that kind of come flying into it and then there's there's artists like local people whose cds i had that i put onto that one too and some of my stuff will come up which i don't actually skip because i like my songs but mostly because i love the people who were playing on them Mm. and it brings back memories of the studio and and you know watching them actually create so that's that's why that's interesting to me it might seem you know a little narcissistic to have your own song on a playlist but i'm going to give myself a pass on that one but yeah some really neat stuff comes up and and it's sort of guiding and influencing a little bit some of the people that i want to approach uh, for the next book, because there are people who I'm pretty sure, like those bands are defunct, but 
who I still want to get in touch with and say, listen, you know, I know you're not still playing in band X, but I love this song or these, this set of songs that you wrote and, you know, give me the story. And I think, I think that might make things pretty interesting in, you know, volumes two through 15. Certainly. Yeah. Or so. <laughs> now, if this were a video show, Sean, I would yeah. show these three CDs that I'm holding in my hand right now. Uh, signs. Yes. Puck hogs. Yep. And live through this. You can actually, you can hear them. They're right here. These yeah, are yours. Yeah. And I just want to give like a very quick shout out. Like the, these are listeners. Check these out. Like they're actually quite good. You were good enough to give me copies of these a couple of years ago. And uh, they're right here. I, I listen to them. So. Oh, thanks man. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I, that was, I don't want to say that that was a then thing. I mean, I'm still uh, writing music, although I haven't done much writing in the last few years. Like since, since the pandemic started, I don't know what happened. I just kind of, I sort of stopped doing it for a while. And this, and then the book became sort of the creative outlet, but it, it has been making me feel like I really should get back to picking up the guitar and maybe writing a few songs. And I've got some other ideas you know, for how to take Heartstrings first guitars beyond sort of the can lit scene, you know, the book and, and, and maybe, you know, do some other stuff with it. And like, wouldn't it be a gas to be able to interview somebody for a video show or something like that, and maybe even play along with them or something. Right. So, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but I, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate it because it, the songwriting, being a singer songwriter is something I took really seriously for a lot of years. And I started late. Like, I didn't start playing guitar till I was 33 and I didn't record my first CD till I was 40. And I just, but I just wanted to get the stuff out there and and i did and i think that's an accomplishment in mm. and of itself and there's some interesting stuff that happened along the way maybe we can talk about when you invite me back to the <laughs> podcast yeah. setting things up Perfect. i'm setting it up now you know but. that's that's very cunning of you well, well thank you like thanks that. i mean you can hardly say no now <laughs> no. you know <laughs> how could i <laughs> all right all right so so you were leading me to five songs I was, and I apologize that there's only five. Um, yes, thank was... you. I was waiting for that apology as well because this was torturous a little bit, you know. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a common problem. <laughs> of course, it. Like, how do you five songs, Brent? Like, I could hardly do it if you said five hundred. Oh, I know. Um, you know, there's like well, we were talking about this this iPod playlist. Like, there's about thirteen hundred songs on there. I could probably pick any of them and go, let's do this. But the ones that I picked were kind of uh, just very instinctive. They, they sort of came right off the top of my head. And the interesting thing about this is that none of them would necessarily land as like, oh, these are my top five favorite artists or my top five favorite albums or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe tangentially, but, uh, but they were just the songs that flew in. So, so let's start. I'll let you start. Perfect. Okay, first one, love this pick. It's the Water Boys. Fisherman's Blues. I think it's 1988 or so, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thereabouts. Okay. I think this might be my favorite song of all time. Possibly. Wow. Yeah, possibly. You know, and that often depends on the song I'm listening to at the time. But just this one, there is something about this song that affects me so viscerally, I could hardly not say that it's my favorite. A lot of songs will give you goosebumps. I know this is, I know the the whole premise here, right? Is um is you know that that makes your skin vibrate. There's this song sounds like freedom to me, 
And it's not just because the lyrics about, you know, I'll be loosened from these bonds that hold me fast. And the chains all hung around me will fall away at last. I mean, you know, just an amazing lyricist. But the woohoos, the the way that it just kind of bounces along, but but not in like an up-tempo bubblegum kind of way. It's almost indescribable, the effect it has on me. It, it does come from probably one of my top five albums because mm. Fisherman's Blues was amazing. Uh, it heavily influenced my songwriting hero, Steve Earle. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was hanging out with the Waterboys back around then and uh, recording some stuff on his own while they were recording that. Uh, and you hear that influence creep into um, some of my songs as well. I mean, I will, sh- I will say shamelessly that the title track from Live Through This uh, you know, my woohoo who's on that one were, mm. you know, sort of directly cribbed from this one. I also love because it gets the sound for me. I I, I love moving my capo up to like the uh, the fifth fret and uh, and recording because you get that kind of almost mandoliny jangly thing kind of going on. So it really influenced my early writing, and I just adore the song. That's one that I can listen to ten times in a row, no matter how many times I've heard it, and and still just be bouncing around the kitchen or or howling away in my car, that kind of thing. I love these guys. Obviously, Hole of the Moon is great. Um, mm-hmm. They have another song that I love called "The Girl Called Johnny." If you know that mm-hmm. one, yeah. Um, and and their version of "Sweet Thing" blows Van Morrison's out of the water, and that is not an easy thing to do. I love Van Morrison's version, but theirs they captured some magic there that is just okay. So I mean, my my, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that one too. That's a that's an album. There's there aren't very many. There's only one skipper on that one for me, and then that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Carl Wallinger from the, he's played keyboards in uh, the water boys for a little while. He left yeah. in the late eighties, I think to form world party. Yeah. Another, another great <laughs> act. Right. <laughs> and I think he left band. after, maybe he left after uh, recording hole of the moon. Cause I don't think, he, I don't know. I don't think he was still with them for fisherman's blues. He might've been. No, he and wasn't. that was like 1988. You know, I think it's funny because you, you bring up hole of the moon and then we're talking about this record because I had a friend of mine, Steve Jones, who's also been on your show talking, uh, talking about how, you know, hole of the moon is one of those forgotten songs and it should have been a huge hit. And I often think, yeah, but if it had been, it would have sent them off on a completely different arc. Maybe Wallinger wouldn't have left. Maybe they'd have continued down that sort of poppier eighties produced kind of thing. And instead in 88, they released this record that took them right back to their Celtic roots. And they had this giant, band and just produced this astonishing piece of art that i just love that's a great point i i agree with that i think you're mm-hmm. right yeah yeah excellent pick so your next one now is equally excellent it's uh oh, i love this stuff man otis redding try a little tenderness mm, yeah so up to otis redding my exposure to soul music had been pretty exclusively centered around Motown, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, you know, being younger, I, you know, a lot of the blue-eyed soul, like even stuff like Hall & Oates, like the things that I associated with soul music, which I loved, but it was also that popularized sort of version of it. And then don't even know where I came. I think I think I picked it was Otis Blue, maybe, or it might have been Otis Redding Live. My dad had a few Otis records, and I'd never paid any attention to them. I pulled them out, and I put it on, and I was like, oh, okay. I think I'm starting to understand soul music a little better now because Otis 
just brought it, man. I won't say he's the best singer that ever was, although I think you could make an argument for it. But the passion and the the realness of it all, Mm -hmm. it didn't just influence me from the standpoint of music, but it made me interested in the history of rock and roll and what these acts went through just to play the music that, you know, that they had inside them. And, you know, obviously back in those days, it was still, it was still a country very divided along lines of race and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and one of the lines I think of all the time, it's on the Otis Redding live album where, you know, he, they finish off a song and you can tell they're just like totally amped up and he's like, we're going to eat tonight. We're going to eat tonight. (laughs) And and I thought, you know what? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm not there. I don't know exactly what he means, but I kind of took it very literally. And I think, I think there was a literal aspect to it where, you know, it was like, no, I mean, you know, we, this is this is going great and and you know it means we're gonna get paid <laughs> you know uh, i don't know uh, but it just it just stuck with me and, and i don't know it, it made it how shall i put this like i said well i think i said it already it made it really real to me and and made me think about uh the history of music a little bit better and the commitments also did a fantastic you know did a fantastic version of that mm-hmm. i think that's where i had become familiar with the song try a little tenderness that that movie and soundtrack no it went the other way around like i said i was in high school i don't it, you know at our at our at our vintage brand sometimes the memories get a little jumbled <laughs> Tell me about um it. anyway i just i just adore otis redding and it's it's such it's so real and it was so different and and that's why i love it and also i think what what happened was uh, I'm a big fan of Toots and the Maytals. They're, they're, you know, Toots is, is, is one of my top five favorites, although there's none on this list. But Toots covers Otis a couple of times on his records. And I think it's because there's a, a similar, there's a sameness. And it's not in the voice necessarily, although there's that, but it, it's in the, the realness of it where, you know, Bob Marley was kind of like the apex of reggae for most people. But if you talk to people who really dig reggae, and ska and stuff like that they're gonna bring up toots and also desmond decker and some of the other some of the other greats you know um not that bob's not great he's one of my favorites too but bob would have been the first one to tell you that desmond decker is who everybody in that scene wanted to be and that you know toots and the maytals were just as real as all get out so yeah no, there's just a, a, a smoothness and a richness to this stuff. You know, I, I thought Sam Cooke when I saw this. Mm, um, yeah, you yeah. Know, and I, I like that you touched on Daryl Hall and John Oates because I was listening to Abandoned Luncheonette last night. She's gone. Oh, yeah. What a record, right? Oh, and, you know, I mean, and Daryl Hall's still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got He's got that show that he does. I think I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's like, of course, there's like, there's been so much appropriation of black music throughout, throughout the history of pop and, and rock and stuff like that. But, you know, you, but I also think like, I probably never would have found Otis Redding had it not been for people like 
Daryl Hall and John Oates sort of, and, and you know, whether they sanitized it or not, it still was like, no, this is really great music. And now, now I'm going to go back with an appreciation. I'm going to find these other artists and then I can, you know, sort of bring them into my consciousness and, you know, eventually bring them into other people's consciousness. Cause you know, as a kid, you find something you like, you're playing it for your friends. Right. Oh, yeah. And you know, so, I mean, I put that on, I was like, ah! that I had to bring everybody over and put it on. Listen to this. And, you know, people dug it, man, because it was just so, so real. Like, even if you were more of a metal head, you listen to that and go, no shit. No, that guy's metal as, you know? Yeah. Yeah. AF kind of thing. Yeah. You can't refute that. I totally agree no. with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We're going to change gears now a little bit. Mm-hmm. Your next selection is Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. Lean on your peers. Yeah, that would be another sort of maybe top five song. And Tom Wilson, probably in my top five songwriters. I used to separate them into like, well, these are my top five favorite acts. And then I've got my Canadian ones. And now, you know what, Tom Wilson, like he is such an amazing writer and put him together with uh, Colin Linden and Stephen Fearing and Blackie and the Rodeo Kings is they're just greater than the sum of their parts. If you if if people have never seen them play live, they should go, they should listen to their stuff. It's it's really amazing. But Lean on Your Peers is a Tom Wilson pen song. And and here's the thing about that tune. It's another one that gets me like right in the feels. And and it's because like you, I'm from a small paper town very blue collar you know mm-hmm. i moved to sudbury blue collar mining town tom being from hamilton blue collar steel town there's something about this song and the lyrics that just speaks to my experience and and it's not the experience of like growing up with your chums in high school so much this one captures a moment in time for me that's that's a little bit different from that one although that's there but after college i had to go back to capascasing to work at AM58 because it was a bad time for radio. They, those There were some cuts that were happening and there weren't a lot of jobs out there. And it was kind of a drag to be back in the hometown without my friends and the people from high school who had all moved on. And so I hung out with a different group of people, uh, some of whom I shouldn't have been hanging out with, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. But they became my peers and they were and they were influential on me in their own ways good and bad and provided a different set of memories almost like a different lens on the town that i had grown up with and thought i knew so well it was like looking at it through another person's eyes and lean on your peers just captured it man they played here years ago at the steelworkers hall and that song came on and i like literally like this is the kind of thing everybody's sitting around at tables and i just jumped up and i was like the only person who like basically ran to the front of the stage and i'm almost <laughs> in tears and my and my dad who had come with me still talks about it. he's like man you love that song eh? and i was like yeah because like it just like it was like somebody had lassoed me and, and just dragged me right to the right to the front because i, I just have so much appreciation for it amazing tune if people have never heard it and especially if they're from one of those small blue collar towns i challenge you uh not to be moved by it Mm -hmm. wow big change of gears here this is the (laughs) the thompson twins and hold me now if you are again of our vintage the 80s were a special time for music some people are like well the 80s sucked or it was all too commercial so here's the thing The, the reason i put this song on here is a it's a great song 
I don't care who you are. I will die on the hill that hold me now is one of the best pop songs that anybody's ever written. And yeah, there was a lot of weird fashion choices. And yeah, there was some weird production choices and it was the, it was the video age. So people argue that there was more uh, focus on how people looked than what they sounded like. But here's the thing. I took this song and I learned it on my acoustic guitar. Oh, this song stripped down to acoustic is an amazing, amazing song. And you can do that with a lot of these tunes. Take away all the fashion and take away all the production. And they're just awesome songs that you can mess around with stylistically and that kind of thing. You can play a whole show, you know, by learning, say, 30 of the top hits from the 80s. And I bet you some people would be just bamboozled by how amazing the songs are. You could probably pass them off as your own if you <laughs> if you wanted to do that because people have never heard them that way but stripped down like that they're just phenomenal tunes and this one in really when you do it uh, i'm trying to think of what the chords are it's been a while since i played it i think it's like g c a minor and d or something like that mm. it's a really easy song but that minor um if you slow it down a little bit and with that minor it kind of gets really uh, wistful yeah and uh and and kind of like very tender there's a lot of longing in it and that kind of thing and it really lets you focus on the lyrics and the lyrics are actually pretty good because they convey that emotion so i would i would encourage anybody who plays guitar just mess around with songs like that you know you've heard them you know them and even if they sound really poppy it's not that hard to figure out the chords and you could be adding things to your repertoire that if you just pull them out of your butt man people it'll blow their minds Oh, it really will for sure. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of songs like this. I I, I agree. I'm seeing like a singer songwriter will do that, uh -huh. and it's funny because you you're a music geek like I am, so you can pick up on it quickly. But when you watch the rest of the crowd and you know that they're gonna have a whoa moment, and the chorus comes, and it's like hold me, they're like holy shit, that's like the Thompson Twins, but they didn't that's know right. until yeah. you know the chorus. So it's it's it it is very cool. You're right. Yeah, and if anybody ever, if you, you know, if you're an artist who wants to have a sing along or a clap along or something, you've never had that, pull a song like that out. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing, I guess, what, what makes it special, special to me is there's a whole uh, pantheon of tunes that when I first got into radio, obviously a very formative time, it was like falling in love because I loved radio and I was only 17 years old. There was a lot of that stuff. It was a contemporary hit radio station that I started at. So those songs, you know, they're in my DNA, man. They're just, my neural pathways are geared for them. Oh, dude, I have uh, an 80s playlist, and it just goes so well with summertime as well, right? So um, yeah, man. it kicks off with Wang Chung, Live and Die in L.A., to Captain of yeah. Heart by Double. Yeah, there's so, and there's so much stuff that, like, you know, if you move beyond the stuff that hit the top 10 or went to number one, there's some great music. I was looking at a, a CFNY playlist from back in the 80s, too, and then... Uh, like a lot of this stuff, you can make the argument that Platinum Blonde outside of the 80s would have been an alternative rock band because they started out as a police cover band, you know. So without you take away like the tight red pants and the, the white, you know, the white leather jackets and the, 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 the what made them Platinum Blonde. They, those are wicked songs, man. The guitar playing is great. The drums are tight. Um, the lyrics are good. They, like everything about it. Just if they'd been dressed up differently and styled up differently, it would have been a totally different vibe. 
And, uh, you know, we could go on about this forever. I mean, they take a yep. band like Alice in Chains. It's all mm -hmm. about how they're marketed. Are they grunge? Are they metal? What do they look right. like? What do they sound like? So, um, the, you know, a couple tweaks and you, and you can turn a band like Platinum Lund into, you know, an alternative band, like you said, because this. Well, 100%. You they did that with Alice in Chains. I mean, because Alice in Chains, when they came out with Man of the Box, it was like the end of the 90s, right? Uh, or no, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm aging myself again. It was the, like the end of the eighties yeah. and, uh, you know, early nineties and the first video, like they, they actually had like product in their hair and shit. <laughs> and then yeah. dirt came out. It was like, ah, we're, we're grunge guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's all in the, the delivery and the marketing. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Your last tune here is an interesting one. It is yes. the, the artist is called St. Bernard. The song mm -hmm. is called Kate Bush. Yeah. St. Bernard is, is my kid's band. Yeah. Um, and, and I love them. And not just because it's my kid's band. His name is Evan Newell Barrett. He's 18 years old. <clears throat> it's his first band. And uh, he writes some really fantastic songs. He writes in a way I can't figure out. I've never been able to write like he does, which is kind of interesting. And he always, he, he gives me, he gives me a bit of, bit of hell because I'm trying to keep this PG for you, by the way, but he, but you know, he, um, and it has not been easy. Uh, he, um, he always kind of, he's like, you know, I'm trying to write like the stuff that I like to listen to and more modern. And I'm always coming back to this alternative country stuff that I grew up on. And, uh, but it makes for an interesting mix, I think. Um, so like lyrically his stuff, the way he puts things, it's really cool. I'm more of a storyteller songwriter. I'm probably way more literal in the way that I put lyrics together than he is. And he's got this band of, of kids who are his age and they're just pumping out some fantastic stuff and this song it's deadly man it's so hooky it like and uh, and kate bush they only mentioned kate bush the one time and it has nothing really to do with kate bush because i guess that's what the kids do these days i'm i'm really literal with my song titles but i i and i played harmonica on it so you know dad oh, dad got know. to take a yeah dad got to take a little turn um with the kids songs i i will say they were surprised and i thought it was cute how surprised they were that i was any good <laughs> they're like oh yeah can you put some harmonica on sure and i, I you know so i just kind of toot the thing out and they're looking at me and uh, and i'm like was that okay and they're like well no actually it was good i was like actually it was <laughs> good thank was you good. <laughs> thank you thank you for your incredulity that the old guy was any good because <laughs> you know, because i i haven't i haven't released three cds or anything like that or yeah. you know but yeah, it was it was funny. Anyhow, I would highly encourage anybody to go and check this out because I love everything about the song. I really do. And I think everybody else will as well. And I had to give my kid a shout out. But I think the main thing, the main take home here, I would love this song mm -hmm. if it wasn't my son. Well, I, I like it. I mean, you know what I get from it? it mm. I get a mid-90s kind of Canadian feel, like a treble charger. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm laughing because there's so much of that on my iPod. And Evan grew up listening to it. Oh. And you are bang on because, like, you know, I was in rock radio here in Sudbury from, like, 1992 to 2002. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you nailed it. And there's so much of that Canadian content on my iPod. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, treble charger and, and like, you know, rusty yeah, and sandbox and the odds and stuff like that. So he also says he gravitates to that stuff. And that also irritates him because he's like, well, all my music ends up sounding like mid nineties Canadian stuff, dad. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And then 
he realized when he started putting the songs together that it wasn't necessarily a bad thing that he had brought in these disparate influences that do give you a unique sound, you know? Because who else is putting that stuff together but some loopy iPod playlist, you know, like, you know, after it was rescued from a hospital. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Kind of got a story to tell there, too. So anyway, um, I I think, I mean, the music industry being what it is, it's hard to get noticed. But uh, I hope anybody who hears this will at least go check the tune out. Give it a shot. Yeah, please do. Uh, also, speaking of checking things out, Heartstrings First Guitars. Cannot wait to get that book, my friend. Yeah, man. You know, I'm self-deprecating, you know, and, and I'm nervous about how it's going to be received because it's so far out of my comfort zone. But I think it's a really great book. I really hope people are going to like it. It's going to give them a lot of insight into some pretty fantastic artists you know i mean i managed to get gordon lightfoot in there before gordon gordon passed away um you know i've spoken with bruce coburn i mentioned the guys from the hip but you know there's like you want to talk about sort of like deep cuts and stuff you don't expect there's even like leona boyd is in there fred penner pete droge and pete yorn hayes carl there it's there's no rhyme or reason to it because i had no rhyme or reason going into it well, listen, man, thanks for doing this with me. You finally made it onto the show. I'm so glad. <laughs> I probably talked a lot more than you expected me to. Oh, eh? no, dude. It's all good. It's all good. I got stories to tell, my brother. Oh, I know. Well, that's why you're coming back. <laughs> right on. That's why okay. Well, back. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you so much. I, I love the opportunity, and I've been looking so forward to uh, being on this podcast and having a chance to talk to you about music, you know, also because I just, I dig your book so much. All my favorite people are broken. I loved the concept of it. Thank you. Well, I mean, this mutual friend of ours, Liam, who was, uh, you know, your best friend and, and such a wonderful guy, mm-hmm. you know, was instrumental in this book too maybe i'll tell that story next time yeah please yeah, do. yeah yeah definitely right on all right okay stay on with me here um, i'm just gonna outro the show i will all right this has been no sleep till Sudbury with brent jensen and my very special guest mr sean barrett check the book out when it comes out until next time folks take good care Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.